Calling all AEC professionals. Get ready for unparalleled professional insights with detailed and original podcasts by RCAT. This is the podcast that brings you the untold stories and lessons learned behind the design and delivery of a building project. Hey, it's Sharice Lakeside, aka the CSI Kraken, and your host. Join me as we dive deep into the tales of conflict, triumph, and sheer ingenuity. Yeah, so when Serena was named for the, it was going to be named for the building, you know, we really were able to work with teams at Nike Branding and how to really infuse her influence and identity in the very public spaces. Detailed features architects, engineers, builders, and manufacturers who spill the beans on the most complex, interesting, and downright odd building conditions they've encountered. Another challenge of the of the shuttle is actually and putting it in launch position is how you brace that seismically. It's really supported by only two pins at the base of the booster rockets. And there's a large base isolator that's underneath the shuttle that kind of prevents it from moving too much in an earthquake. The, you know, when you have 600 people or 300 people in a room, acoustically, you really need a high floor to floor so that you can have the right acoustic environment for people to be able to talk and that, that speech intelligibility is really good. Every episode unveils lessons learned and connects you to the products you need to navigate similar challenges. Follow the link in the show notes to subscribe to Detailed today and be prepared for the unexpected on your next project. Every building has a story and we are here to tell it. Wait, I, I want to ask the question again. Oh, okay. So like he cuts me out. Yeah. Yeah. She didn't ask us yet. Slow your roll. Ciao a tutti. Welcome to season three of She Builds podcast, where we share stories about women in the design and construction field, one lady at a time. This season, we will be discussing ladies who influence the built environment in professions outside of architecture. I'm really excited to branch out of our architecture comfort zone and learn about these professions and different perspectives. What about you, ladies? Heck yeah. I am so excited. Season three, let's do this. I feel like Woo. this season will be somewhat non-traditional for us, but I like it. Yeah, agreed. I'm very excited to see how it's going to play out. So before we start, one more thing. We can't continue without saying thank you for supporting us. We wouldn't have made it this far without all of your support. Thank you, listeners. Yay, thank you. Yeah, yeah. Today, we will be discussing Florence Nightingale, a pioneer of healthcare architecture design. I'm Norgeri Rivas, missing my family in Puerto Rico in Houston, Texas. Hi, I'm Jessica Rogers, missing the Miami sunshine and family based out of rainy Washington, D.C. Hi there. I'm Lizzie Rahr, missing family and friends in Michigan from San Francisco. Quick disclaimer. The three of us are not historians, nor are we experts on this subject. We are just sharing stories about the information we find. So if we get our facts a little mixed up, please forgive us and send us a comment and we will all continue learning. Okay. Today's episode is special in a number of ways. One of them is that this will be our first listener suggestion episode. 
It comes to you thanks to a great fan, Sarah Shumbera. Yeah. Actually, side note, Sarah sent us an email earlier today and I responded. And it was really nice because nice. we love Sarah Cute. and Sarah's awesome. And we love hearing from our community. So we're telling y'all we want to hear from you. Yes. Reach out. Leave comments. Tell us your thoughts. Mm-hmm. Sarah's work and passion focuses mainly on healthcare architecture. Because of this, she asked if we could do an episode on Florence. Thank you very much for your suggestion, Sarah. I really enjoyed researching Florence and was super impressed by all that she achieved and all the information there is out there. Yeah, at first, I guess we only thought of Florence Nightingale as a nurse. We were just a little skeptical about discussing someone so outside of the profession of construction. But then Rajiri argued that there are a few connections that can be made. Yes, it's really fascinating how much she contributed to healthcare architecture. Some sources name her the architect of modern hospitals, but I'll let you be the judge. Today, I'm only going to be able to scratch the surface, but I really hope it inspires all of you out there to search for more information because there is a ton to know about her. Is that Wi-Fi? Because I'm feeling a connection. Ooh. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so, listeners, be sure to keep sending us suggestions and you might hear an episode based on your nomination. Exactly. Obviously, it depends on the focus for the season and how much information we can find about the suggested ladies. But we'd love to hear suggestions. Yes. All right. Let's start. <clears throat> The time was May 12, 1820. The place, Florence, Italy. Oh, she's from Florence. Oh, I love Florence. Perfetto. Oggi parliamo di una persona italiana. Va bene. Andiamo. Well, she was just born in Florence. Her parents happened to be there, but they were British. And they moved her back to England a year later, so I wouldn't call her Italian. What a tease! <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> oh, I got really excited. I know. It's okay. Yeah, it's okay. Well, her parents had a thing for naming their children per the city they were born in. Thus, Florence and her sister, Parthenope. Oh, that's a name, though. Can we talk that's about it? Name. Like. Yeah, Parthenope. <laughs> Parthenope. Like, what would it be mm. the nickname? Nope. Party? Par Ooh, party. Nope. No, but like, for real, what's your name? Ooh, I nope. like that. Nope. Nope. Was, for real, what's your name? I kept nope. saying it. I was, you were like, what is her nickname? I, nope. <laughs> nope. <laughs> no one, everyone just thought I was saying no. <laughs> no. I didn't catch it. <laughs> you just thought you were being sassy. <laughs> I know, but I, I was being sassy and giving a suggestion. <laughs> okay, enough of that. Back to Amazing. <laughs> Her family was well connected. Her dad, William Edward Nightingale, was actually born William Edward Shore, but his mom's brother left him the Nightingale estate and he took on the Nightingale last name. Oh, that reminds me of Eileen Gray, episode 15. Yeah, I thought of her too. 
So Florence's mom, Frances, was the daughter of politician, abolitionist, and Unitarian William Smith. Florence had family in high places on both sides. That's cool. I wonder if Frances was born in France. But anyway, um, that's pretty <laughs> impressive uh, to hear about Florence's family. And I'd like to take a moment to talk about how privileged she was to have parents of that caliber to provide these connections and offer those opportunities. And I like that her grandpa was an abolitionist. It's refreshing considering the time period. Mm. Good point. Florence was also lucky because her dad believed in educating women. He taught both his daughters history, math, Italian, literature, philosophy, and Florence absolutely loved it. She loved collecting and analyzing data, which is something she put to good use later in life. That's so great. I think we were mentioning it in season one that something a lot of our ladies have in common is someone who supported them and told them that they could do these things, even if it wasn't typical for society at that time. Right. Yeah, for sure. And to have that kind of education, we will see that this was probably super helpful for Florence, I bet. Mm -hmm. Yeah. In February 1837, Florence felt a call from God telling her to devote her life to the service of others, which Florence translated to being a nurse. Her family said, uh, nah, girl. Wait, didn't we just get done talking about how great her family was for supporting her? <laughs> <laughs> well, the support mostly came from her dad. Her mom and sister were more traditional. They didn't mind mm. women being educated, but they didn't think it needed to go further than that. Mm, I see. But like, what were they saying not to? To God talking to her or to her being a nurse? <laughs> Definitely to her being a nurse, but maybe to both. Okay. All right. I'm taking back my praise of her parents. I will only praise her dad. I mean, okay. yeah. I'm also assuming that in this time period, girls from high society in the 1800s were just expected to marry and pop out more high society babies. Society women didn't have jobs outside of the home, and it would just get in the way of them procreating and throwing parties. They wouldn't be helping <laughs> the needy and the poor. Actually, rumor has it that Florence was pretty, so finding a husband in those days would have been no problem for her. In fact, she had a nine-year romance with politician and poet Richard Monckton Milnes. But Florence, the heartbreaker, in the end said, no, thank you, because she felt marriage would get in the way of her calling from God. You know how it is. You, you know, I would have thought that maybe she was just very career driven. But I mean, it seemed like it was more than that with, you know, it being a calling from God and all. Yeah, it seems like a path you don't ignore, you know. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I wish we had like a sound effect like oh, every time we or say like, a call from God or like a like a harp thing like the a <laughs> Oh well. In 1847, Florence was hanging out in Rome, minding her own business, and she met Sidney Herbert, a politician that was on his honeymoon, and somehow they became BFFs. 
He was Secretary of War during the Crimean War. Remember that because it will become important later. Noted. Locking it away. Three years later, she went to Germany for nurse training. During that time, her dad, who we know is in the business of supporting her education, gave her 500 pounds a month, which roughly translates to $65,000 today so that she could live comfortably and focus on doing her thing. Dang. That's a salary. Yeah. That's like, that's a salary a yearly every salary. month. Yeah. Oh, my God. It must be nice. Oh, my gosh. I cannot. <laughs> well, Florence's time to shine came during the Crimean War. Britain joined the war against Russia on the side of the Ottoman Empire. And in 1854, Florence's buddy, Sidney, authorized her to be sent as a volunteer nurse to modern day Istanbul. Wow. Between Italy and Istanbul, we have been all up and through her stomping grounds. Yeah. Yeah. So now, true. what Florence found when she got there was total chaos. I mean, it was war, but still the patients were low on medicine and food. Hygiene didn't exist. Everyone getting infections left and right. She called it kingdom of hell. Whoa. Let's just say Ooh. it was cry. Yeah. <laughs> Florence was like. I need to do something about this. <laughs> and she started observing, gathering data. Today, people recognize that she was a pioneer in graphical representation of statistics. She actually developed her own pie chart, the Nightingale Rose Diagram. Whoa, that's cool. She sounds organized. And I appreciate the attention to detail. Oh, yeah. Yeah, very architect of her. Mm-hmm. She was mm. real smart. She wanted to have empirical evidence of things. The death rates, how long were people sick, how things were laid out, what procedures were in place. And with that information, she started making changes. She introduced sanitation concepts like dressing wounds, cleaning patients and their clothes. Something that seems so obvious today was so novel then. Such a basic concept and so effective. Here's your reminder, listeners, to wash your hands. There's still a panorama going on. <laughs> she was hardcore dedicated. When all the medics would leave for the night, Florence would walk around with a little lamp, checking up on the sick, and they started calling her the lady with the lamp. That's also the name of a 1951 movie about her life and achievements. Well, I guess that's different from a, a lady and a tramp. <laughs> yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there wasn't much nursing in that one, if I remember correctly. More spaghetti. <laughs> We're on fire today, these jokes. Yeah. <laughs> Eventually, Florence sent a letter to the Times newspaper asking for the government to get their act together and send the resources needed for their wounded soldiers. Taking matters into her own hands. Hmm. I love it. Why does this sound so familiar? Because it's different times, same BS. Mm, sounds like it. Britain's response was to build a prefabricated hospital and send it to the Dardanelles. They called it Rinocchioi Hospital. 
There, Florence put into practice good habits like improved ventilation, making people wash their hands, and the death rate fell to one-tenth of what it was before. Can you imagine something as simple as washing your hands, saving lives? This is eerily relevant. (laughs) Remember, listeners, to soap for 20 seconds and run water for 10 seconds afterwards. You can sing the happy birthday song to help. Thank you, Jessica. (laughs) So this convinced Florence of something she suspected. Poor living conditions were killing patients. And after the war, she really got to work. She did so many things we won't have a chance to fully discuss. For example, she helped modernize the profession of nursing and advised the government on army and public health care reform. She really left her mark. This is all great, but I have to wonder if it was because of her status and the people that she knew like these politicians that allowed her to make so many changes and influence. Yeah, I'm sure that didn't hurt. You're right. Well, most importantly for us on this episode today, Florence focused her attention to sanitary hospital designs. Yeah, bring on the architecture. architecture. (laughs) Yeah, what this show is about. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Let me tell you, Florence was no fan of architects. I quote, in a building or extending a hospital, it is to be taken for granted that the object in view is to benefit and not injure the sick. Oh, snap. Florence throwing some shit. I mean, it sounds like straight facts to me. It gets better. Here's another lovely quote. I know no class of murderers who have killed so many people as hospital architects. At this moment, there are many diseases less fatal in the most wretched homes than in hospitals, i.e. hospitals secure a higher mortality. Dang. That's how you really feel, Florence. (laughs) For real. She complained that doctors were complicit in these murders because they didn't pay enough attention to the hospital building designs. So there you go. Everyone's getting blamed. Okay, so she's spreading the blame yep. around. I got Everybody's it. at fault. Yeah. The designers, the doctors, the patients that don't wash their hands. Especially those. Yep. She actually had a lot of respect for designers she considered good, like Douglas Galton. He did the plans for the Herbert Hospital. She called it the best military hospital in the world. So not everyone was in danger from a tongue lashing, I guess. Yeah. It seems that there's at least one hospital that's saving lives and, you know, not murdering patients. One would hope. (laughs) Yeah. Actually, let's talk about Herbert Hospital. Our buddy, Sidney Herbert, wink, wink, authorized (laughs) it to get built and gave it his name. Okay, sure. As one does. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) It was one of the first hospitals built in the 1800s. To be a hospital. During that time, England had been converting existing buildings into hospitals, which does not sound ideal. Hospital TI? That sounds bad. (laughs) Real bad. Uh, (laughs) excuse me. Uh, sorry. I've been out of the game for a minute. Um, TI? 
So TI stands for tenant improvement, and it's a type of project where you're renovating a space within the existing shell or exterior building. So for example, in an office building, you could renovate one office space completely or one doctor's office, but it wouldn't change the exterior of the building or the surrounding office spaces and tenants. Okay. So hospital TI equals bad news bears. In 1865, Herbert Hospital was open. The design was influenced by Florence's ideas and became a model for hospital designs for the next century. Okay. Wow. So maybe Florence was a little biased when she called it the greatest. Just a little. (laughs) Florence was writing articles and books about her findings and thoughts on hospital design, offering solutions based on her research. Today, we call this evidence-based design, and it's something healthcare designers continue to do. Wow, that's really cool how much she influenced Mm -hmm. healthcare design. Eventually, her reputation grew, and architects were coming to her, asking her to review their plans. Florence advocated for efficient hospital designs that would avoid wasted space and without holes where people could get harassed. Keeping it efficient and safe. Speaking of safety... She also argued that children's wards should be in areas that were frequented often, not isolated on the top floor, so everyone could keep an eye on the kids. Well, yeah, if there are such things as harassment going on, I would want them to be safe, too. Mm hmm. Yeah, no kidding. Florence thought hospitals should have a lot of sunlight and outside spaces for exercise. She called it a pavilion model where sunlight filled most spaces. She proposed full-height windows at specific intervals with beds between them to get good ventilation without creating drafts. I mean, natural light can help anyone's mood. These concepts seem like they could have been really innovated for that time, too. She wrote a book called Notes on Nursing, about the importance of the environment, ventilation, and sunlight for healing and good health in general. I mean, environment, ventilation, and sunlight? These are all just basic design principles today. Yeah, for sure. There are things that we think of as basic now, but they Mm -hmm. weren't back then. She also talked about the importance of gardens and hospital design. They provided fresh air gave patients a place to exercise, and could be used as apothecaries. They were actually really useful. Yeah, you can grow your own herbs for natural remedies. I like it. Mm -hmm. That sounds lovely. A lot of these ideas are still true today. We know how important sunlight and visual stimulation is. Hospitals today have welcoming atriums and green spaces. Patients, people in general, but especially patients, need variety. Florence touched on that in Notes on Nursing. She said, ideally, patients would be able to see flowers and green spaces from their windows. It's also something so positive and reassuring, you know, to see something beautiful grow. Mm-hmm. Yes. With all the concepts we've discussed, ventilation, sunlight, she developed ideal dimensions for rectangular wards, 30 feet by 120 feet for 32 patients with ceiling heights between 16 to 17 feet. It was later called the Nightingale Ward, and it became the model of pavilion-style design. Ooh, interesting. Yeah, I like how she designed this, you know? 
She thought about all those details. Mm -hmm. She also thought hospitals shouldn't be more than two floors and no more than 100 patients under one roof. Less was better for her. She understood hospitals needed space for supplies, but she wanted it to be efficient. The more space, the more error. Which actually makes me think about Memorial City in Houston, which is a huge hospital complex with all these different towers and buildings. It even has a mall. It's crazy. Yeah. What? A mall? (laughs) Okay, I'll take you when you come again. But I think Florence, if she saw that today, she would faint. (laughs) Yeah, she probably would. (laughs) But also, like, the population was definitely a lot less back then. Yeah, for sure. And I got to believe that, like, with today's technology being so different we can probably have those type of spaces but also keep in mind florence's design principles right she also often asked for nurses to have access to suitable break rooms and with a kitchenette and individual private bedrooms that have windows and were open to the outside i think people would want something like this for their basic work environment well back when we were working offices But even work from home, it applies to that too. Yeah. Florence consulted on a bunch of hospital designs. Check out our show notes for a link to that list. Two projects worth mentioning. Number one, St. Thomas Hospital with a pavilion style of seven buildings connected by walkways. And two, the famous John Hopkins University Hospital. In 1876, the Civil War doctor, John Shaw Billings, who was hired to be an architect, asked Florence for advice. The building had to be a solace for the sick and an ornament to the city. Ooh, that sounds like a really interesting design problem to have. Yeah. John sent Florence five rough plans and Florence sent back 12 pages of comments, which John took into (laughs) account. Yeah. (laughs) When... It opened in 1889. The toilets were really separated from the wards and separately ventilated. The building for pathology was separate from the building for the sick but alive people. Each patient had a separate room with its own ventilation and vestibule between the room and the central corridor. He tried really hard to avoid cross-contamination with the technology they had at the time which was not much. And he tried really hard to put into use everything that Florence told him to do in those 12 pages. Wow. You know, it almost sounds like basic design of hospitals today. And the fact that he took all of her comments into consideration, that's something. Yeah, for sure. She was clearly respected with regard to hospital design. And the fact that these things are now basic design standards shows that also. Mm-hmm. We have to realize this lady was totally revolutionizing the game with all her sunlight, cross ventilation, patient care ideas. She might not have been the very first one to think of those, but she was one of the first that made it happen on a large scale. She was a pioneer in her field and she achieved reform. What amazes me the most is that her ideas became the norm in her lifetime. Yeah. Wow. She was able to change so much, which in turn, it helped so many people. Clearly. Today, hospitals have changed a lot. We very briefly touched on that before, but 
Her basic principles of the importance of sunlight, cross-ventilation, separation of program, and the idea of basing design on research and data, the way she did, remains true today. So, ladies, how do you feel about Florence now? Did I convince you about her contributions to the building industry? <laughs> yeah, this lady literally changed hospital design. She sounds amazing. Agreed. She made huge contributions, and I'm really glad that we talked about her. Yeah. I just realized I didn't say when she died. Oh. I mean, it's 18-something. We know that she died. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I hope she didn't die because of poor hospital conditions, though. Or, like, an infection. Whoa, a twist. (laughs) Like, that she didn't get murdered in one of those hospitals that she was critiquing, you know? Why would she have been murdered? By one of the a disgruntled hospital architect that got a negative <laughs> review. Oh, right. Because the archi- hospital architects are murderers. Yes. <laughs> well, Florence <laughs> died peacefully in her sleep. Yes, I like that better. In London on August 13, 1910, she was 90 years old. Good life. Hopefully it was in a well cross ventilated room with uh lots of natural sunlight. views, lots of sunlight Bright. and green a lot of greenery right outside her window. Mm-hmm. Yes. I'm sure it was. Okay, well, now it's time for our karyotid. Lizzie, please remind us what this is. Sure thing. A karyatid is a stone carving of a woman used as a column or a pillar to support the structure of a Greek or Greek-style building. Each episode, we will present a karyatid, a woman who is working today, furthering the profession through her work, and who ties into the historical woman of our episode. All right. Drum roll, please. (laughs) Ellen Taylor! Ellen Taylor is the Vice President of Research of the Center of Health Design. She is an architect leading the charge in healthcare design. In 2017, she won the HCD10 Researcher Award. It recognizes significant contributions to the industry of healthcare design. Wow. She has a bachelor's degree in architecture from Cornell University, global executive MBA degrees from Columbia University and London Business School, and a PhD in design, patient safety, and human factors from Lowborough University in England. Degrees on degrees. Mm-hmm. Ellen is a world-regarded writer and speaker. She has worked on Pebble Partner Projects, leading grant-funded research programs supported by the Agency for Healthcare Research and Quality and the California Healthcare Foundation, among others. She is way beyond an architect. That's awesome. Yeah, that's really cool that she's worked on such a range of things. Mm-hmm. Yes, she is the vice president of FGI's Healthcare Guidelines Revisions Committee, HGRC and serves on the HGRC Executive Committee of the Steering Committee. Dang, committees on committees on committees. 
I know. <laughs> like it was hard for me to keep track. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm not done yet. Oh. Okay. Ellen serves on the editorial advisory board of the Health Environment Research and Design Journal and the American Journal of Infection Control. Ellen is currently a board member of the AIA Academy of Architecture for Health Knowledge Community. Some people call Ellen a rock star. I call her an inspiration. Florence revolutionized healthcare design. And Ellen, although she isn't revolutionizing the same way, she is improving it and to making it more efficient and in turn making it better for the patients. Right. Exactly. It sounds like Ellen is following in Florence's footsteps, trying to make a difference and to keep bettering healthcare design. This was an awesome caryatid. Agreed. Oh, I'm mm-hmm. glad you think so. Before we sign off, we want to say grazie, CMYK, for the music, John W., our technical producer, and grazie mille a tutti for listening. We hope you enjoyed learning about Florence and Ellen along with our banter, and you're inspired to find out more about them and other amazing professional ladies. Again, grazie. Please let us know what you thought of our episode. If you've enjoyed it, please help us spread the word. Tell your amici, your neighbors, your coworkers, your doctors and healthcare professionals, your nurses, and give us five stars on iTunes. Write us a review, and this will all help us reach a wider audience and for more people to learn about these awesome ladies with us. We are excited to hear from you and for you to come back and keep learning about women bosses with us. You can email us your thoughts at shebuildspodcast at gmail.com. Leave a comment on our website, shebuildspodcast.com, or follow us on Instagram and Facebook at shebuildspodcast and on Twitter at shebuildspod. Ciao! Ci sentiamo! Arrivederci! So, ladies, what would your names be if your parents had done that? Well, my name would be Miami. What? What? <laughs> I like that. My name would be Melbourne. Oh, I like that one. It sounds like a hipster. <laughs> a hipster <laughs> name. Yeah. What would the nickname be, Lizzie? And that would be Melby. Obviously. Yeah, like the Spice Girl. <laughs> yeah. I love okay. it. Okay. Well, <laughs> mine would be Bayamon. Actually, these all feel like names for rappers. And no, Judy, <laughs> that would be your shtick. Like, yo soy Bayamon, y soy de Bayamon. Whoa, whoa, reggaetonera de Bayamon. I don't know. Hey, designers and curious minds. Ever wondered about the stories hiding within your building's walls? I'm Carrie Seaburn, structural engineer and host of Unstruct, the podcast that decodes and simplifies major concepts of structural design. Behind the math and physics, structural engineering simply predicts building behavior. Join me as we simplify the complex, making structural design accessible to everyone. Nowadays, instead of measuring it via cost, we're saying, well, what about carbon, you know? We've got two levers now that we can, if, if an architect has an inefficient design, we can hit them with two levers if you like. <laughs> <laughs> the official casualty figure is 55,000. Everybody I talked to told me that the actual figure is at least three times as much. 
and I believe that. I mean, seeing what I saw, Turkish codes are good and, and they have been improving, but compliance was completely lacking. Fluent in steel, concrete, masonry, and timber design, I'll bring you leading engineers to dissect the tales behind their building structure. Whether you're an architect, contractor, engineer, or just love a good story, this podcast is for you. Yeah, beam penetrations. That's a fun topic on this project. Follow the link in the show notes to subscribe to Unstruct. From within your walls, hear the story behind how your building stands today.